When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order. And I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is with Laura Lynn Knight. Laura is a former elementary school teacher and now a parenting educator and mother of two. She provides practical tools for parents and their children to foster more calm and create less chaos in their home. Laura has an upcoming book being published called Break Free from Reactive Parenting that will be linked within the show notes. In today's episode, we talk about reactive parenting. What is reactive parenting? Why can it be harmful? And what tools can we immerse ourselves with to avoid reactive parenting? Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, Laura Lynn Knight, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So as we briefly discussed prior to getting on this recording here, we were talking about reactive parenting. That's going to be the topic today. And I was just mentioning how it gets kind of a buzzword that's not, or maybe is used, but people don't know exactly what it is and how it might apply to everyday examples that many of us may have come across either witnessing something like that, or as a parent, just being in that same situation and reacting in a way that we didn't even know what it was called. So we're going to talk about what reactive parenting is and all about it, and then give some examples and then tools in order to overcome reactive parenting and just try to react in a better way. So if you can just start off with what is reactive parenting, that would be great. Yeah. So reactive parenting I like that there's a term for it now because when my kids were first born, I was an elementary school teacher and I had 25 kids in my class and I had a really chill, (laughs) mellow classroom, you know, like I loved teaching. I felt like I was really good at teaching and I kind of thought when my kids were born that I was going to have the upper hand, so to speak, just that like I, you know, I had always worked with children and it would be easier and I always wanted five children and a really big family. And then I had my first and my second and they're two years apart. And I found myself really reacting to them in a negative way. And so I define reactive parenting as the negative behaviors that are displayed when a parent is frustrated with their child. And so that often can look like yelling, threatening, screaming, or even hitting in some cases, but it can also be over rewarding and over bribing. It's like, we're really just in that reactive place of, I don't like your behavior. I don't like what you're doing. And now I'm kind of pulling from anywhere in me that's in more emotional space because I need to get you to stop. And so I'm reacting to you. And when that started happening with my toddler, I have this little sweet two-year-old toddler and he's no, no, no all the time. And he's not listening. And I have a brand new baby. And there I am all of a sudden yelling at my son who I adore 
And I just had this moment of clarity of this can't be the way. And it's not that I never yelled again, right? Because that's unrealistic. But I knew that I had to find tools so that I could stop that behavior because that wasn't the parent that I wanted to be. And it wasn't the mom that my kids deserved, but it put me on this quest of, well, what tools are out there and how do I change this? Because if I'm really honest, you know, my experience is that having young children is incredibly hard and it was way harder than I ever thought it was going to be. Totally agree. And I feel it's like, but it's hard to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and the way that you're describing it and just like little examples of, you know, just yelling and, and pulling at strings, bribing. I mean, I don't know one person that's listening to that. That's like, Oh, I've never done that. Right. Like if you're, if you're a parent, I feel like there's at least one time that you can say, Oh gosh, I I can relate to that. I mean, I can relate to that on so many different levels. I mean, I can be found saying, okay, everybody, you're not going to get your dessert if, and it's funny because we briefly mentioned Dr. Becky and she used this as an example. I was like, oh man, she's talking to me because the consequence is totally unrelated to the action. (laughs) So like my child like refuses to pick up the toys in the playroom. Okay. If you don't pick up the toys in the playroom, then you don't get dessert. And it's like, what? <laughs> yes, um, and it's so hard for kids because it's it's really illogical in their mind, right? Like how do the toys relate to dessert? And so it's not saying that we're not going to have consequences because we all have consequences in life. Our behavior, no matter what we do, there will be a consequence, whether that be good or bad. And, you know, I like to call them logical consequences when I'm working with families. It's just what is the logical consequence? So in that example, if my child is not picking up the toys in the playroom and we've gone through this and I've asked several times and I've used my other tools and it's still not being done, then logically it makes sense that those toys are going to go away for a while. And we're not going to have those toys available until we see that toys are being cleaned up. And with that said, I also look at my own part and think, okay, have I taken time for training with my child? Do they know how to clean up the toys? Do I have so many toys available to them that once they take them all out, the job is just too hard? Do I need to actually have some of those toys put away so that they can clean up on their own? And so it's always kind of looking too at us as parents of, oh, what are we doing are we negatively setting our kids up in a way where they're not going to be successful with this task? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like often too, it's it can be hard, especially as you mentioned, you know, going from one to two children. I found myself doing a lot more of reactive parenting when there were more children in the picture because I, it's hard in the moment of something to take a step back and say, okay, what should the consequence be here? How should I be handling this, right? So you look at it in hindsight and you say, oh, okay, easily I could have done X, Y, and Z. But when it's happening, it's so much different. It's just a totally different mindset. So I'm excited to hear about your tools because I feel like half the time it's just so hard because everything's moving so fast and there's so much going on. Babies crawling away might get into something that I don't want the baby to get into. Meanwhile, child number two is jumping off something they shouldn't be jumping off of and they might get hurt. I need to set some boundaries there. Meanwhile, child number three, it's then you start, oh my gosh, okay, you get off of here and you start, you find yourself yelling, right? Because you, you don't know where else to pull from. It's just like your immediate reaction. You know what I mean? Because you're just in that moment. And I think, you know, the beauty of being a parent is that we have so many opportunities to learn and we have so many opportunities to go back to our children and amend our behavior. And, you know, and when we do that, we're really modeling what that looks like to own a mistake or own our part, which is a long-term value that most of us want to teach our children is to have accountability and be able to apologize when they need to. And so in those moments, just to say to the parents that are like, oh, I could never be that calm or I yell too much. You know, I always have to remind myself and the parents that I work with of 
it's not just a one shot deal. Like we are modeling imperfection for them. We are going back. We are saying, Hey, when I yelled at you to get off the couch, next time I'm going to try and do this. And I'm sorry, because I bet that really hurt your feelings. And it's scary when you get yelled at. And I don't like that feeling. And I imagine you didn't like that feeling either. I offer you a hug. Is there anything you want to say? You know, and then we move on and we keep learning and we keep practicing. So can you tell us, Laura, you know, why? So reactive parenting, say you're somebody who's resonating well with this. Why is it harmful? Why can it be harmful? So reactive parenting is harmful and on many levels. I mean, if we're really even looking at like parents that are hitting their child in reaction, then we want to look at the research of spanking and hitting. And we know that those children are going to be predisposed to later in life having depression. That's going to cause more shame. So on those more kind of concerning behaviors that parents might be doing, we re- there's really a lot of evidence that that no longer works. And a lot of parents don't identify with that anymore. Though They say, okay, I don't hit my kids. I don't spank them. But yes, I am yelling or yes, I am over bribing or I'm just over controlling what they're trying to do all the time. And so for your child, you know, we really want children to grow up in a space where they are not limited by shame and they're not limited by low self-worth. And we know that children who do grow up with a lot of shame and low self-worth and thinking that they're bad, you know, a bad boy or a bad girl, however children are being labeled, is that later on in life, they're going to take that narrative with them. And that can lead to more drastic behaviors like addiction and, you know, self-harm or mental health concerns. But it's also just an icky feeling, right, for a child to be in this place of, I'm wrong, I'm bad, I'm not good enough. And so when we're in reaction, we're sending that message which is a message I think all parents agree that we don't want to be sending to our child. Can you give us a couple of examples of just instances of where a parent is exhibiting reactive parenting and then flipping the script and telling us what you would do instead? Yeah, so I, it's, that's such a great question. So I can think of many of my own examples and just <laughs> other examples from families that I've watched or, you know, you see at the park. Mm-hmm. But I was, I'll tell you one of my own personal examples. So my daughter, she has some anxiety. So when we lived in California, we just moved recently to Arizona. But when we lived in California, we found out that our house had a significant amount of mold in it. And my daughter had significant mold toxicity in her body. And the result of that mold was anxiety. So around five years old, she started having really bad anxiety. And we worked with a functional medicine doctor and we cleared the mold out of our house. And she's come tremendously far, but she will have times where her anxiety will flare. And for me, that's one of my harder parenting moments because I want her to push through the anxiety and I want her to not be limited by the anxious narrative in her head. So one of the things the other day we were talking and her friends were inviting her over to their house. She's seven years old. And she was like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to go. Like, I think I'm just going to stay here. And they're like, come on, it will be fun. And I, as the mom, I know when she gets there, she's going to have fun, but her anxiety is telling her, no, don't go stay at home. I, I feel more comfortable at home. And so we were talking in the other room and I just really started to get angry. Like I could feel it in my body and it was starting to bubble. And I said, your friends are feeling like you're being rude to them and they're asking you to go. And she's like, well, I don't know. I don't want to go. And her voice is escalating and my voice is escalating. And I can just see like, we're about to be in a, we're already in a power struggle and we're about to be in a huge power struggle. And I am in that mode of reactive parenting because I want her to go because I know she's going to be happier when she goes and she doesn't want to go. And right. It's just kind of this catastrophe of 
are in this predicament again. And so I did react for a moment and then I paused and I walked away and I came back after I had regulated myself. So I recently wrote a book and my book is coming out. It's called Break Free from Reactive Parenting. And the first chapter is devoted to self-regulation because if we cannot regulate ourselves and our own bodies and minds, then really all of the tools are kind of out the window. So I needed to regulate myself. And I did. I was able to go take my breaths, be grateful for her. You know, one of my tools is always like, make a mental gratitude list of everything that I'm grateful for about this child that I'm feeling really frustrated towards because I want to flip the script in my own mind. And then I went back to her and we just talked about the brain because we talk a lot about the brain and we label the parts of the brain that are anxious. So, you know, for my kids, when they were little, we used made up names and now we, they appreciate using the real names for the mind. So I said, your amygdala is really like overworking right now. And that's the part of the brain that's in charge of fear, flight, fight. I said, no, I'm really hearing that, but I want to go back into the prefrontal cortex. I want to go into that wise part of your mind. What do you think you can do? What would be a solution to this? And we came up with a solution and we problem solved it and the situation passed, right? And she did end up going over to her friend's house later and she did end up having a really nice time. But that's an example from my own life of like, okay, I'm going into reaction. How do I pause this? How do I change? So you you kind of paused and you kind of left and you came back to it. Let's say you didn't do that in the moment. You kind of just reacted and then it was nothing. Now, I would say step number one would be kind of talking through that and just apologizing for whether it was you were yelling or say you were bribing them in some way or whatever, what have you, you can kind of talk through it. But what are some other things that you would do if you kind of didn't take that step back? Do you know what I mean? Like if you hadn't like reacted and then took a step away and then came back right away? Yeah. So, and you know, again, that's happened too many times where I have reacted. And so when I do react and I, I didn't have that opportunity to use my tools or I wasn't online enough in my own brain, I was too much in my amygdala and I needed to get back into my prefrontal cortex. Then the biggest thing for me is always going back and amending my behavior and talking about it with my child, you know, asking them, how did that feel? Can I offer you a hug? Owning my part. And then oftentimes we'll problem solve together of, well, what can happen next time? Because there's two parts in this situation. And so I want to own my part. And also, especially with older children, you can ask them too. You can say, hey, I felt really frustrated when, and be specific of, I didn't like the way that you were talking to me and that didn't make me feel good. And that doesn't mean that I necessarily have the right to talk to you back like that. But this is something that we're also going to work on with you because having that language with me or having that, you know, response to me isn't okay. So much of what I try to practice with families is a whole family approach because I think it's not just the parents that are learning the tools. It's also the children that are learning the tools. And so as much as I'm in my own reactivity, my child's often in their own reactivity and we're going to take their reactivity with a grain of salt because we know their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. We know they don't have the same tools. They don't have the same problem solving ability, but these are tools that we're still teaching them much through modeling, but also through setting aside time to say, okay, when you get angry, what are three things you can do? And let's practice that and role play it. So I try to proactively teach my children as, especially as they get older and older and they have more ability so that we don't get into these power struggles. And we're all working together as a team. Mm. So what do you think is the most important tool in your toolbox when it comes to reactive parenting? I think the most important tool is the ability for to self-regulate, you know, the ability to calm your body and your mind down through self-regulation strategies. And we can talk about some of those strategies, but 
as I said earlier, if I can't self-regulate, then I don't think that any of the other tools, they're just theoretical, but I can't access them. And that was my first experience when I go back to that story of my son being two and me yelling at him and really having that moment of clarity of, I can't do this anymore. I had read a lot of parenting books and they were saying, you know, if your child's upset, sit with your child, maintain a close space, you know, kind of do these things. And, and what I found was that I was trying to do what they said in the book, but I was so unregulated myself. And I was so angry that I would sit and I would try and then it wouldn't work. And then I would get even more upset. And it's like, I was perpetuating Mm -hmm. the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's talk about the self-regulation strategies that you mentioned. So a lot of my self-regulation strategies that I really pull from that I find to be effective with both parents and kids come from mindfulness, come from meditation, and also come from somatic-based tools. And somatic-based tools is really just talking about tools using the body. And so you're not necessarily trying to think your way out of it, which doesn't always work. You know, you're just kind of coming back into the body. And as we come back into the body, we actually know that the mind will start to regulate and go from the lower part of the brain, which is the fearful anger, like response, more like reptilian response into that more critical thinking mind. And so some of my go-to tools that I do with my child, so let's say that I'm in a moment with my child and we're both unregulated, we will put our hands up and we will trace our hands with our index fingers. And so I might trace my daughter or my son's hand. And when I get to the top of each finger, we take a breath you know, as we get to the top and then they will do the same thing on my hand. And so immediately we're integrating breath work, but we're also integrating a somatic based tool. We're using touch. We're coming back into the body. Yes. And I have free calm cards on my website, lauralennight.com. And I have calm cards for parents and calm cards for kids. And you can just save them on your phone. You can print them out. And it can be really fun for kids too, because you can just say, okay, let's pick a card. You know, let's, let's just like put this negative behavior aside for a second and let's pick a card or I might go and, you know, I have them saved in a folder on my phone and say, okay, I'm in a moment. I'm looking at my own self-regulation cards. Let me just pick one and try it. So I always want to have that backup plan for otherwise if I don't have my plan ahead of time when I'm in the moment it's kind of like oh it's all out the window that was a nice theory but here I am and now I can't access that right and what if what if the child in that moment is like refusing to participate with you what would you do so something negative just happened you were both maybe arguing or what have you and you're like okay let's take a moment let's do x y and z and then what if they're like no I don't want to Yeah. And so that's perfectly okay. You know, I hear that you don't want to do this activity right now, or that you don't want to pick a card right now. And you might model something yourself, just say, okay, I, I can feel in my own mind that I'm feeling a little bit frustrated. So I'm going to trace my hand or I'm going to take my deep breaths, or do you want to come with me into the bathroom? I'm going to run cold water over my hands and hey, now we're in the bathroom, we've moved a little bit, I'm kind of doing my own thing. Oh, did you want to run cold water under your hands? Oh, did you want to make bubbles with the soap? And so just kind of redirection and distraction. Sometimes at first it's a no, and then it changes over time. One of my favorite activities that I do with kids all the time is just playing rock, paper, scissors. And I don't even have to say anything. You know, we've practiced it enough where all of a sudden, you know, my child's in a meltdown and I just take my hand and I go rock, paper, scissors, go rock, paper, scissors, go. And almost it's like irresistible, right? And then we're laughing a little and we're regulated a little. And it's not to say that we're not going to address the behavior and that there wouldn't even be a logical consequence for that behavior, because this isn't about ignoring 
what needs to be addressed or not teaching the tools or having boundaries. All of that is so important. But if your child is in a place where they are so upset anyway, they can't hear your teaching. Right, right, right. And I think that's like so often, yeah, that happens. I can just think of so many different examples when that happens. And I, and I feel like at least this is just for me, like in in my experience, my personal experience is something happened, whatever it was. And, you know, you react and then you have this instinct to kind of correct everything right at, at once, right? Like right that minute, like, like we need to talk about this right now when in reality it, it doesn't really need to happen right now. <laughs> so I do like, I like that, like kind of like creating that connection with your kid before you move into what you, I feel like they're going to, they're going to be able to absorb that information so much better when they're in a place where they feel connected to you rather than if you had just had an argument and you're trying to immediately talk about whatever had started the argument they're going to be like, I don't want to listen to this. No, I'm not connected to you. I'm feeling dysregulated. I'm, But if you're kind of creating that connection first, then it kind of gives you this space to kind of let them cool off. You, you yourself are kind of regulating yourself. So I like that idea. That's great. And it works great too, you know, in marriage and mm-hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. right. It's like, it's one of those things when we think about it from the adult perspective, we're like, oh yeah, that didn't work out when I was really upset. And I was trying to talk to my partner about, you know, the thing I was really upset about and we couldn't see eye to eye and then escalated into an argument. And how different is it when we come from a place of I'm calm, you're calm. This is a difficult subject, but let's enter into it from a different space. And so it's the same thing with our children, you know, let's have the conversation, but let's have it when we are open and receptive to the conversation. And, and I'll also add to, you know, you and I might have the same parenting style where we like to have that follow-up and we like to talk. And my husband is completely the opposite. So he'll say, you don't have to talk about everything. I'm like, well, okay. I don't know. I kind of feel like I should talk about everything. And so there might be parents listening that are like, well, I just walk away, you know, and that's how my mom was when I was growing up. She didn't want to talk about anything. And that was really hard for me. She would go in the other room. She would close the door. I would have my feelings. And when I was done with those feelings, she would come out, but it was never discussed. And that was really harmful for me too, because I wasn't able to get my feelings out. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel seen. And so there is this balance of, yes, we don't need to talk about it right away. Maybe we don't need to talk about everything, but we do want to tune into what's going on with our children. We do want to follow up. We do want to have conversations and just finding the time and the place where that makes the most sense. This podcast episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas would make a great gift for anyone on your list this year. Gift a pair of incredibly comfortable slippers, t-shirt, or socks that fit any activity on your gift recipients list this year and give back to those in need with every purchase. Bombas' mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Most recently, they worked with their partners at Global Empowerment Mission to donate over 219,390 units of socks and underwear in a range of sizes and styles to help support humanitarian relief efforts in Ukraine. Their clothing is the type that you find yourself going back to every day. Everything is soft, breathable, tagless, and seamless. Their no-show socks, my personal favorite, are great for workouts and they never fall down. They truly are the best socks I have put on my feet. Their holiday collection puts a modern twist on traditional festive colors and designs. Think rich purples and greens, geometric snowflake designs, sweater-inspired textures, and retro ski patterns. They're perfect to put in a stocking. My oldest daughter has officially stolen four pairs of my socks and refuses to wear any other socks on her feet now, so I know what I will be stuffing into her stocking this year. Go to bombas.com slash lindsay and use the code lindsay for 20% off your first purchase. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. Go to bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Lindsay and use the code Lindsay at checkout. 
so I have a couple of questions just based on the topic itself from my community that I would love to go into, but is there anything that you want to add to this first part of the conversation that might be helpful? I just want to always add when we're talking about reactive parenting, and I think we touched on this a little bit, is that I think it's important for parents, especially right now within our culture, just to be gentle with ourselves and not to say, oh, I'm a reactive parent and that means I'm horrible and I've been doing it all wrong. You know, if you're resonating with this topic, that it's really hopeful because there's an opportunity to change and you don't have to just have a two-year-old or a five-year-old to make that change. You know, you might find yourself with a teenager at home and you're like, ah, I've been doing this and I've been doing it for so long and now it's too late for me. No, not at all. We can always change the script within our home and we can always change the tone. And we, as the parents are responsible for setting that tone. And so there's hope, you know, and I always want to just lead with that and all these conversations because we already have enough parenting guilt on us. Most Mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to ask you when it comes to the child's age, obviously, if this is happening with a 10-year-old, it's going to be different than if you're doing these same types of tools with a two-year-old. So with a child that might be younger, right, that doesn't quite, can't have a full conversation with you about certain things, like, are there different tools that you use for that age versus a child that can have a full conversation with you? Yeah. So the age is always going to determine, you know, age and developmental ability and just where they are and what they can process. It's always going to change and it's going to change almost daily. You know, our kids are always growing and developing and their minds are changing, but it's the same concept of connection is key, right? So whatever that connection looks like for the age of your child, For a really young child, that might be, you know, giving a hug, asking them if they would want to give you a hug, sometimes just changing that question really helps. Going into those somatic tools, getting out the Play-Doh, getting out the slime, kinetic sand, blowing bubbles, whatever it is. So all those tools change. And then it's more of a redirection at a younger age because you can't have a bigger conversation, but it's still keeping it simple. Ouch. That hurts when you hit mommy. I see that you're angry. What can you do when you're angry? Let's find something else. feel mad. It's okay to get your pillow or whatever you're going to, whatever you can work on with your child. And then for an older child, I think sometimes we discount that they still actually are open to some of these tools, like that teenagers still do like to play rock, paper, scissors. And I still have teenagers that I'm making homemade Play-Doh with. And sometimes we think, oh, they're teens and they wouldn't want to do any of this. And actually they're more open than we think, but they might not be given the opportunities. So don't discount it until you try it because it's even fun for adults. Like we're just getting back into the body or let's go outside and kick a ball around, somehow move because we know that when we move, it's going to change the makeup of our brain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to pull up some of these questions and just kind of go through some that we might not have touched on. Is there a way to help children heal from a few years of being highly reactionary and emotional? Yes, there is absolutely a way. And I love that question. That's such a beautiful question. So first of all, they're going to heal as we change. So as we start to practice our own self-regulation tools And like I said, you know, the tone of our home changes, that's going to be very healing for them. Also for children, they're going to heal as we acknowledge and own our behavior. Hey, you know, the way that I acted, that was not okay. I'm sorry. I'm owning my part. What can I do? What do you need from me? If it's an older child, then you can have that bigger conversation And then also, if there's a lot of trauma or if there was something that really happened that's really stuck in your child's mind, 
really talk through that experience with them. Remember when mom got so mad that I grabbed your arm and that really scared you? Then what happened? And let them tell you about it. And then what happened? And they continue to tell. And so you're talking through that story. And as you talk through the story, you're relating to their feelings. You're saying, yeah, I'm really sorry, you know, again, that that happened. This is what I'm going to do next time that I'm upset. I'm going to keep trying my best. So there's a lot of opportunities to continue to heal. And children, the beauty of most children is that they are very forgiving Mm -hmm. and they are really open to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what if you and your partner are both triggered by messes? So I'm guessing that they're triggered and they're practicing reactive parenting by being triggered by just the house being messy, whether it's, you know, the playroom or the kitchen or wherever the kids might be. Yeah. So it's really great to set up time to have family gathering where you all sit down together at the table. You set up a time that you're all going to get together. So let's say this is Thursdays at four o'clock, we're all going to sit together and it's no longer than 15 or 20 minutes. And we're going to talk about the things that we need in our house. And we're noticing as parents that the mess of the house has just been too much for us, right? And that we need to have some different goals and some different guidelines. And how are we going to problem solve this together? What could we do as a family to get through this problem that's really affecting both of us parents. And then the children can contribute their ideas. Oh, well, why don't we have a cleaning day every Monday and Tuesday? Or maybe I'm going to be in charge of helping in the living room and my brother's going to be in charge of helping in their room. Or, hey, maybe we have too many toys. Let's put some of them away. And so when we're problem solving as a family, there's such a greater chance of collaboration and success because it's not that authoritarian model of you live in this house and you're going to do exactly as I say, and it's going to look exactly like this. It's more, this is a need. This is something that we're struggling with as parents. And now let's work together to find a solution. And I love those kinds of tools. I love those family family gatherings because they've researched them and they know that children who grow up in that model, that they as adults are better able to kind of go to their peers or to their bosses and they can problem solve because they've been practicing it for so long. Interesting. That I mean, it makes sense too that, you know, if you're involving your kids in the actual solving of the problem, that is just your problem, right? Because they don't care about the mess, but that's going to give them tools later on thinking about yeah. it that way. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And they do care in the way where they might not care about the actual mess, but they care about their family and they care about the parents' emotional needs. And so being able to phrase it like that of, oh, you know, I've just been really noticing that I'm getting so frustrated when we have a mess in the house and I don't want to get frustrated anymore. And how can we do this differently? Because that doesn't feel good for you and it doesn't feel good for us. And let's find a solution. What do you guys think we could do? Mm -hmm. Like, let's make this fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, that's great. How can you approach this with your partner to work together without defensiveness? That's a question I get all the time is, you know, one parent is like, okay, I want to do this this way. And the other parent is kind of, you know, this is how I grew up. This is my parents yelled at me. This is how I was raised and look at me now I'm fine. That's just a very common situation that arises. We can't change our partner. We can't necessarily change their view, but the same way that we can set the tone with our children through our actions. We can set the tone with our partner. And I would say for me, when I got into this line of work, my husband was more on the side of, well, this is how I was raised and that I need to do anything differently. And then as I kept practicing it and as he kept seeing like, oh, wait, wow, that totally was diffused. And, oh, that really worked. And hey, I'm going to try that. 
and it benefited our marriage too. You know, we talked about this earlier of like, if I'm having family gatherings with my kids, I can have those same little family gatherings with just me and my partner where we get together and say, Hey, I've noticed that I've been doing the dishes a lot this week and I'm feeling overwhelmed by it. Can we find a solution? It's such a different conversation than you're not helping me at all. The dishes are in the kitchen and why not? And what are you going to do to fix it? Right? Like those are two very different coming from very different places. So what I have found with many families that I worked for with is that maybe one parent starts, but the other parent often follows suit later on. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause they see you and how it's working out for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's like modeling yeah. model for your kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We're just doing it for the other adults around mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. You know, and for grandparents that are watching the kids too, you know, I mean, my mom watched me for a long time. I, I shared how we were raised. I was raised very differently than how I parent. And I find my mom using a lot of those, to- the same tools where she's like, oh, can you tell me about that tool? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try that. And I want to do that. And I'm like, Ooh, how cool. Like, yeah. Differently yeah that's awesome. kids. How do I regulate myself? It can be really hard when the kids are demanding and nonstop. Yeah. So self-regulation is a big, big topic, whether it be through those same somatic-based tools that we talked about, or for me, a lot of self-regulation comes just, I can take a moment and I can think, like I said, my favorite tool that I use is making a mental gratitude list for everyone involved in the situation, because I forget in that moment that I'm actually really grateful for my kids. And I feel so overtaken by that intense anger or frustration. That's what makes me want to yell. And it doesn't take long to say, okay, three things really quick. What do I love about this child? And then I'm like, oh yeah, they're super snuggly. They give the best hugs. They are very curious and inquisitive. And although that's driving me nuts right now, I do love that about them because that's such a great part of their personality. Okay, now I'm a little bit more online, but maybe I'm not enough online yet. Maybe I'm not, you know, when I say online, I mean like back into my prefrontal cortex, into that upper part of my mind. So, hey kids, I just need to wash my hands really quick. It doesn't even have to be, I'm leaving the room. And I need time and I need space because that's a power struggle too. Right now you have that child that's like, no, don't leave. I'm sorry. Like now it's now we're in it again. It's like, oh, ooh, I think I need to wash my hands for a second. And there I am standing over the sink and there's cold water and I'm noticing the cold water on my hands and I'm noticing the way it feels. And I'm back into my body a little bit more. I'm tapping into that sensation. My body is calming down. My nervous system is getting back online. And now I've used another quick tool. And all of this, it doesn't take very long, right? And then I say to parents too, if you don't have your own practice, whatever that looks like, of maybe it's meditation for you. Maybe it's mindful walking where you go on a walk around the neighborhood and you just notice what you see and you count your steps and you're not on your device. You know, it's just something where you're unplugging and you're bringing some sort of awareness and practice into your life. The more you do that, the more your stress is going to decrease. Your mental health is going to be better. Your sleep will actually improve. I mean, there's so many benefits that scientifically studied And when our cup is full, you know, we hear it all the time, but it's worth saying, it's like when our cup is full, then those moments aren't so frustrating because we actually have somewhere to pull from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So I think I'm going to end with those questions there and ask you two more questions that are not related to the topic at hand. Is that okay? Do you have anything else you want to talk about first? No, that sounds great. I'm, I'm ready for the questions. Okay. So the first question is, if you could give advice to moms, one piece of advice, what would your piece of advice be? If I could give advice to moms, my advice would be to trust that even though sometimes in the moment it feels really messy and you feel like your child is never going to grow out 
of the behavior they're exhibiting. Like it's always going to be this way. You know, you have this mental narrative of this is bad and my child is acting bad and they're never going to grow out of this needs to be fixed immediately. And I'm never going to overcome this challenge to think back to all the other times when we thought, you know, my baby's not going to learn how to walk or when are they ever going to roll over? Are they ever going to be able to use the toilet? It's like all of those little milestones that were achieved in their own time and in their own way. And the same goes for their developmental, emotional, social, emotional process and learning. And we're going to get there and it might take time and it might take tools, but these are all stages and phases. And because you're a parent who's listening to this, because you're a parent who cares, because you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't, you can have faith that all of these hard moments, they will pass and your child is going to learn such amazing tools from you because you are trying your best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I have a friend who who has kids that range from 17 all the way down to a, a baby. And she tells me all the time, she's like, all my kids were different to parent, right? And she's like, I had ones that were tougher than others. And it seemed like it would never end. Like I would... I would use the same tools over and over and over and over again, hoping that they would in the long term help and and be a, a success. And she's like, I can look at my 13, 14, 15 year old now and say that all the work that we did, although it was messy and all of these things, like I can see like the fruits of my labor. So I find that really encouraging to hear that because you do, you feel like you're stuck in this like whirlwind of just like the same thing every day and maybe even the same behaviors and you're, you're trying really hard and, and doing these things that you think are, are, are right and, but you're not quite seeing that progress, but it comes. Yes. And it does come and it comes for me with my daughter's anxiety. I mean, that was just such a tough experience for us, you know, and it was a medical experience experience and it was messy and it was emotional and it was not neurotypical and it was beyond anything I could have ever expected. And I just had to keep holding that faith of like, we're teaching her tools and we're doing this and I'm putting in the work. And, and now the things that she says to me and she's able to reflect back and her ability to walk through her fears and just the insight she has at such a young age of seven is beautiful. You know, something that I could have never, a gift that I never could have even anticipated from that experience. Yeah. And that's really cool because it's like now she has all these tools that she can use throughout her teenage years, her adulthood, something that you thought was so horrible at the time, probably, right? Like, I can't believe this happened to me. Why did this happen? And now you can look at it in a way where it's like, well, I'm 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 not glad that it happened, but something beautiful came out of it. And now she's able to have all these all these tools as she grows older, you know, to use. Mm. And I think it works, you know, it works for the tools of anxiety. And the last thing I'll say before your next question too is it works for all the other tools we're teaching. And so she had a teacher. We're no longer actually with that school. We ended up moving, but she had a teacher that was yelling a lot in the classroom and it was really upsetting to her. And she said, why is my teacher yelling at us when she gets mad? And I said, well, it sounds like she doesn't have tools yet for being able to calm her body and mind down when she's trying to talk to you guys. And she said, well, why, why doesn't she have those tools? I mean, I have those tools and I'm And she's like, but I learned those tools from you. Didn't she have a parent who taught her those tools? And I said, well, you know, maybe not. Maybe those are tools that she still hasn't been taught or that she's going to need to learn. But I loved that she had that reflection of like, oh, wait, whoa, like I'm lucky that I have these tools. Like I'm learning them now and they're important tools to have because I don't want to be a grown up doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. All right. So the last question is, what is a dinner that you could make for everyone in your family that's relatively quick and easy and that everyone would eat? 
Oh, that's a good question. And it depends on the needs of your house. Right now, our family, because we had mold, my son has to be grain-free right now. And I'm low histamine and we all have, we're all gluten-free and I'm dairy-free and I just found out I'm allergic to eggs. And so if you're in my house and you're having, you know, it's like, what's our meal that we can have is like a really yummy veggie and like, stir fry where we'll add like chicken or steak or tofu and we'll serve it with quinoa. And that's a pretty safe meal where I can cover the bases for everyone. And if I'm going to bring a easy meal to a family, you know, my sister-in-law is about to have her baby and I know everyone can eat and they have a more traditional diet than I will make lasagna, but I'll use the almond flour noodles, which I love. Just, you know, make it a little bit healthier in my mind that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for taking time out of your day to talk with us about this very important topic. This was great. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.